Well, as you know, it is Palm Sunday, and so the beginning of the week that uh, the church worldwide knows as Holy Week or Passion Week. Uh, And for those of you familiar uh, with the story, you know the stark contrast uh, between the the beginning of that week and the way that it ends. Uh, You know, as we have already read and heard uh, this morning, that it begins with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The King of kings and Lord of lords enters the holy city, the place where he has been headed his entire life. And as he enters, people wave uh, palm branches in celebration of his arrival. And yet, just a few days later, Jesus will be betrayed and arrested, uh, falsely accused, sentenced to death, and then hung on a cross. But before the cross, on the night that he was betrayed, uh, Jesus shares the Passover meal uh, with his disciples. And at supper, something amazing happens. Uh, We discover a, a most significant and beautiful and powerful picture of love. The way that God loves us and the way that we are to love one another. And so this morning, uh, we're going to go to that Passion Week event as found in John's Gospel. Our passage is John chapter 13. Uh, We'll we'll begin uh, by reading verses 34 and 35 and then follow that immediately uh, with verses 1 to 15. And so let's pray. And then we'll hear God's word. Well, Lord God, our King, as we uh, come before you this day, we desire uh, to encounter you, uh, to see you in all your glory, uh, to receive and and to be changed by your self-giving love. We thank you that in your presence, as we see you, just as we have sung, we find strength for the day, uh, that our fears are washed away. And so we pray that you would meet us now and do that for us. Speak to us through your word and by the power of your spirit. Amen. And so John chapter 13 Beginning with verse 34, hear the word of God. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then back to verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, And that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. 
He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, Lord, not not only my feet then, but, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And this is God's word. Well, clearly there is a lot going on in this chapter, a lot going on in in just the parts that we read. And so to to focus our time this morning in God's word, uh, we're going to first look at the setting, uh, the setting of this uh, particular scene. And then we'll look at the command the command to love. And then finally, we'll wrap up by considering how to live it out, how to live out the command to love. And so we start with the setting. And in the first uh, three verses, John gives a few introductory remarks to set the scene. It's there that we discover it's the Passover meal, uh, that Jesus knows that his hour has come. Uh, The time for him to give his life. The time for the true Passover lamb to be sacrificed. The once for all final sacrifice. And on the eve of his death, Jesus now shows his disciples the full extent of his love. It says that he loves them to the end. uh, Meaning without end, forever, perfectly. And Jesus now puts that love on display. He puts it on display as he washes his disciples' feet. A tangible, concrete picture of what love looks like. What true love is all about. What God's love is all about. The love of God is seen as God washes feet. Now, washing feet back then, back then was a disgusting job. Okay? Nobody wanted to do that. And, and you've got to remember that all of the roads, they were dirt roads. It was a dry climate, so very dusty wherever they walked. 
Uh, if it did rain, of course, that meant it would just turn into mud. Uh, and it was hot. So, so they would sweat a, a lot. So always just mucky, sweaty, grimy feet. Animals traveled on those roads as well. Enough said. Uh, their, their, their shoes were merely sandals, just a, a leather sole with a few leather straps. So it didn't do a whole lot to keep the mud and the muck off. So feet were always, always getting dirty. And so typically, as an act of hospitality, there would be a basin of water and a towel just inside uh, the front door uh, for travelers to wash their feet when they entered. And so this would be just as common for us today when we come to someone's house and, and there's a place to, to hang our coat or lay it on the bed or whatever, but there's a place. We expect that. Now further, dealing with feet was not also, it, it was not seen only as being disgusting, but it, but it was also seen as humiliating and degrading. Okay, nobody dealt with feet except for servants and only non-Jewish servants at that. Well, here, no one has bothered. In this scene, no one has bothered uh, to wash their own feet or wash another's feet. No one, that is, until Jesus does it. And as Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet, we begin to see an act of self-giving love unfold. As Jesus is washing their feet, he eventually comes to Peter. And how does Peter respond? Well, he objects. He objects, no way. My feet? No, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. Peter, you'll understand later. No, never, never are you going to wash my feet. And literally, the word is literally never to eternity. So we might emphasize it by saying, never, ever are you going to wash my feet. Then Peter, you'll have no part with me. Oh, well, um, how about wash all of me? And Jesus stays the course. And he says, verse 10, opening up the metaphor for us. The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are already clean. Well, the disciples got this picture. Okay, this, this was their daily experience. And now Jesus is helping them to make a spiritual connection. Because you, you, you take a bath and you're clean. Then you walk somewhere, the roads are dusty, your feet need to be washed, but only your feet because you've already had a bath. You don't need another one. And of course what Jesus is talking about here is not physical dirt, but about the soil of sin. Jesus is talking about the soil of sin and the daily need to be cleansed from it. Because you see, when you become a Christian, you get a bath. You are justified. Once for all, washed clean of your sin. You don't need another bath. You don't need to, to bathe over and over and over. You've been washed of sin. You've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. 
However, if you've had a bath, if you are one who has been justified by faith in Christ alone, will you still need your feet washed daily? Now why? Because you still walk in a fallen world. We still walk where the roads are dirty and dusty. We still struggle with sin and we need to be washed, to be cleansed daily by God's grace. That's why we did a prayer of confession. That's why we have those words of grace over us. And that's not part of our justification. That's part of our sanctification. That's part of our continual growing in grace and godliness as we become more and more like Jesus. But here's the thing. Take a look at Peter. Okay, just think about Peter for a moment. Because what we see in Peter's objection is our own innate resistance to grace. Okay, we are all resistant to God's grace, just like Peter. So for about five years, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I was spiritually mentored by an older friend named Ty. Uh, who then was in his uh, mid to late 40s. And, and I'd ask him to meet with me about once a month, and so we would, we'd get together on a regular basis. And I, and I remember one morning as we got together, we hadn't seen each other for a couple of months, and so we were, we were just catching up at a little cafe, sitting on opposite sides of the booth, and I was really enjoying the conversation. But Ty noticed something in me. He, he was paying attention. He, he could see me. And he could see something that I was doing. And so he stopped the conversation, just gently interrupted. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Camper, I can hear that you are trying to earn my favor, my friendship. I already love you. I already care for you. You don't have to earn it. Well, I tried to, to back out, of course, and a little Peter, let me, let me distract, deflect. And he looked at me, staying the course, and said, Camper, you don't receive very well, do you? Receiving is at the heart of the gospel. And if you don't learn to receive, you'll never understand grace. Our own innate resistance to grace. That's what we see in Peter. That's what we see in ourselves. But take a look at Jesus. Okay, Jesus, because what we see in Jesus is something that not only matches that resistance, but something that is actually stronger than that resistance. We see in Jesus the loving persistence of grace. The loving persistence of God's grace. Okay, so that's the scene. That, that, that's an overview of, of the setting, what is going on. And so, let's move. Let, let's shift now, talk about the command. The command to love. So, Jesus says, verses 13 and following. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Jesus says that we are to wash one another's feet. But what does that mean? What does that mean? So uh, Jesus says, verse 15, I have given you an example. An example that you should do just as I have done for you. Okay, verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? Verse 15. Let me explain. I have given you an example, an illustration, a pattern, a picture. You see, washing feet here is not a specific command. The specific command comes later in the chapter. Uh, This is simply a picture of it. A picture of the command to love. And so it's near the end of chapter 13 where we find the command, the verse that we began with, verse 34, when Jesus says, a new command I give to you. A new command that you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And John has already made clear He's made clear that this whole passage is about love. He he starts that off in verse 1, saying that Jesus is now showing them and us the full extent of his love. Okay, so so do you remember exactly exactly one month ago uh, what we saw in that second half of Romans 13? Do you remember what we saw? We saw the Apostle Paul emphasize speaking the truth in love as he held together... Love and law. And we, we talked about why that is and what it looks like. And, and if you don't remember, you might go back and listen because Paul was really getting at what we find here in John 13. Because what we find here is love and law held together perfectly. Love and law held together in the person of of Jesus. And Jesus makes clear that this kind of genuine love is to be the primary mark, not just of the individual Christian, but of the community, of his people, the new in Christ community. You see, Jesus says that his love is to be the distinguishing mark of the church, and is how the world will see the difference. The gospel difference. We'll see that it is so very good. It's how they will know, verse 35, that we are his disciples. And Jesus' foot washing is simply a picture of that love. A sacrificial, self-giving love. So what does that love look like? Okay, if we just have an example here, uh, what does it look like? Well, one of the most profound ways that we see this love play out is through confrontational care. Confrontational care, that's right. Which is just another way to say speaking the truth in love. And this foot washing was clearly, it was clearly an act of both confrontation and care. In this act of love, it's a picture of how Jesus 
loves us and of how we are to love one another. Again, Jesus says that, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. But here's the question. Do you really love others? Do you really love others? And don't confuse this with affection. Hopefully we have affection for others, but not always. But do we love? We're called to love. Do you really love or do you merely tolerate? Now this was also something we talked about uh, a month ago in that second part of Romans 13. Uh, but tolerating, and, and to merely tolerate someone is to, is to say, I'll put up with you. Okay, that is it. I'll just put up with you. And that's not love. In fact, to merely tolerate someone, if that's all, it's a failure to love. You know, think about the song, uh, Jesus Loves Me, and substitute the word tolerate for love. So next time, Molly, when you lead us, can you lead us? Jesus tolerates me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I, I, I hope not. I hope not. Or, or my own kids, if you were, were to ask them, do your parents love you? I hope that they would say, well, no, but they do tolerate me. And, and, and it's true sometimes, but hopefully they, they know the message. They get it, that we really love them that we would lay down our lives for them. Tim Keller puts it like this. Love is not tolerance. Love is not tolerance. It's engagement. Love is honest engagement with others, especially with regard to dirty, messy, hard Things. And here we see Jesus loving through confrontational care. And I want you to notice that there are actually two confrontations in this foot washing scene. Two of them. So the first is simply the very act of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Because remember, not a single one of them has bothered to do this. They've been living with Jesus for three years. He's been talking, about, talking to them about loving one another, and not a one of them has done it. Now, we learn from Luke that the disciples have been too busy to wash feet. They've been too busy arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. I am. No, I am. That, that's what they're doing. And great people, what do great people not do? Well, they don't humble themselves and get dirty. They don't humble themselves and get into the mess with others. That is not until the greatest among them does it. And so Jesus both confronts and cares for his disciples through this very act of washing their feet. Well, of course, the clearest confrontation is the verbal one with Peter. Notice that that when Peter objects, we have that that strong, emphatic, never, ever are you going to do this. Well, Jesus refuses to merely tolerate Peter. When Peter objected to this foot washing, I mean, Jesus could have simply said, oh, there he goes again, Peter just being Peter. All right, just let it go, move on to the next guy. No, he doesn't do that. 
And so what we see is that Jesus doesn't merely tolerate Peter, but rather he goes after him. He goes after Peter in love. And thus we see the loving persistence of grace. Well, who do you need to love? Who do you need to go after, to pursue? Who do you need to care for in this way? Is it your spouse? Maybe a, another member of, of your family? Is it a friend? A work colleague? Uh, maybe somebody that's in your, your home group or on a ministry team with you. Maybe somebody you don't like but need to love. Now, of course, I realize nobody likes to confront. And nobody likes to be confronted. I mean, none of us. None of us like it. But regardless, we are all called to engage in love. So I, I remember well uh, several years ago when a young man at this church, uh, he'd been hurt by somebody else at the church, and so he, he began to do the, the, the right thing. He prayed about this, he sought spiritual counsel and care, and it became clear that he, he couldn't overlook this offense, that it was just, it stayed with him, and he couldn't shake it, and so he realized he needed to go confront this person. And so he did. He confronted me. And he came to me, uh, with great humility and patience. He was very kind. And here's the thing. I had no idea that I'd even heard him. No idea until he said something to me. Now, I can tell you, at first, my gut was turning in defensiveness, and I didn't really like what he had to say. But he showed such courage and humility and care that we, we eventually were able to work through it. Now, it wasn't easy. So I want to be clear. It wasn't easy at all. You know, love like that is not easy. But he'd stayed the course. He loved me. And there was an opportunity for us both to grow in grace together side by side for the gospel. Now, did, did we say everything right? Did, did he say everything right? Did I respond right? <laughs> no. It's why we need grace, isn't it? And it's why we have grace. And so it, it took a lot of work, a lot of stumbling along the way for the next uh, few months. But we also, we remained engaged with one another and we trusted God. And today, what is amazing to me is the strong relationship that we have. Because it wasn't really close at all before. But now it is a very strong relationship. This is someone that I have grown to deeply trust and admire. Someone whose, whose friendship, a genuine friendship that I have come to so greatly appreciate. He's moved away, but we talk regularly. And I always am grateful for the gift of what we have. A gift that came through the hard work of love through confrontational care. Well, again, Jesus refuses to merely tolerate Peter and instead goes after Peter in love. Now, you know the story. 
I mean, you know how John ends. There's a restoration of of Peter, because Peter still has got a lot more stumbling to do in these last few chapters uh, of John. So we know how it ends, that, that Peter eventually listens and responds favorably. But of course, that is not, it's not always the case. But we're not responsible to make other people change. We can't. However, we are responsible to love them. To love them even at great cost to ourselves sometimes. So let me rephrase my my earlier question. Who in your life are you merely tolerating? Who do you need to go after and love through confrontational care? Speaking the truth in love. Who do you need to pursue? Or the flip side. Okay, the flip side of the question. Do you make it easy for others to confront you? Are you approachable? Or do you try to avoid confrontation by shutting it down before it can even begin? Well, why is it? Why is it that we so often don't speak and also don't receive truth and love? We so often don't speak it, we don't, we don't receive it very well, truth and love. And you know, the, the reason is that the, the reason that we often don't engage with others is because of fear. We're afraid. And you see, we, what we end up doing is we avoid others. We avoid others when fear outweighs love. When fear outweighs love. We avoid or we attack. Okay, we talked about this also uh, last month. And and, and attack is just simply an aggressive form of avoidance. Well, the sad thing about fear is that it breeds avoidance. It isolates. It distances And ultimately, fear breeds distrust. We stop trusting one another. We stop loving one another. Fear and distrust together undermine healthy community. Paul Tripp says it well. A spiritually healthy community is characterized by both humility and courage. It is characterized by the humility of approachability and the courage of loving honesty. I mean, what a beautiful, powerful picture, a vision for our life together as God's people. And what would you say? Are we growing? Are we growing as a, as a spiritually healthy community? Does love like that, does it, does it mark our church? Does it, does it characterize our leadership, our marriages, our friendships? Does it characterize the way that we relate to one another? The humility of approachability and the courage of loving honesty. Does love like that mark our life together as God's people before a watching world? 
Again, nobody likes to confront. And nobody likes to be confronted. Nonetheless, we are all called to love one another, whether confronting or being confronted. But how do we do that? How do we do something that is so very difficult, so very hard for us? How do we love one another as Jesus has loved us? Well, we're going to wrap up by considering uh, how we live this out, how to live out this command to love. And we live out the command to love by continually going to Jesus. Okay, Peter, years later, he would write an epistle. Well, two of them that we have. But he'd write an epistle and he would write in the first one. Chapter 2, verse 23. This whole idea of following the example of Christ who continually entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so we continually entrust ourselves to Jesus. We must go to him each and every day. Because, as we sang earlier, because it is his perfect love that drives out our fear. That's what John would write later. And why would he write it? Because he knows that we're afraid. And so he knows we need to look, we need to see Jesus to find strength for today where our fears are washed away. You see, it is Jesus' perfect love that fills us with the humility we don't have and the courage we don't have so that we can love others well, whether they receive it or not. Okay, think about feet again. Think about feet back in Jesus' day. They were wounded. They weren't just dirty. They were also scraped and cut. Not just dirt on those roads. Rocks, sharp things. Sometimes those wounds got infected. And you know, often people would just, they'd just get used to it. They'd become numb to the pain. Well, that doesn't happen only to feet. It also happens to the human heart. Our hearts get scraped and cut and sometimes infected. And it's too easy to just get used to it, to become numb to the pain or try to numb it. And so we must continually go to Jesus so that he can wash our hearts, so that he can cleanse our consciences. We daily need His grace to clean away the dirt and debris of our sin and brokenness, walking along these dusty, dirty roads in our fallen world. And as we do that, friends, as we do that, as we look to Him, we are filled so that we can then go and extend grace to others. His grace So that we're able to go and and to honestly engage one another, even when it means kneeling down and washing dirty, wounded feet. We're able to give and receive truth and love. Is confrontational care precisely because you love and because you have been loved? Well, brothers and sisters, 
This is why the Apostle John, throughout his gospel, continually points us to the cross. And this week, we are, we're in a week where the church worldwide sets its eyes in a, a new, intensely focused way on the cross. Don't skip the cross to next Sunday. But look to the cross. Because as we look to the cross of Christ, as we continually look to the cross of Jesus, the Holy Spirit continually opens our eyes and changes our hearts so that we are are, are able to both receive His love and grace and extend that same love and grace to one another. We're able to love because Jesus has first loved us us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you focus our attention this week that we would see the beauty and enormity of your love. We thank you for stooping down and washing our feet and for inviting us to be a part of your healing work in each other's lives. Continue to do a great work in us, individually and collectively, as your people, as your church, that we might love one another just as you have loved us. Amen.